0: Well, I am so glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us, I wanna give you a big welcome. Thanks for coming. Uh, You are among friends. This is Fall Fiesta weekend. It combines two of my favorite hobbies, worship and food, right? And uh, my name's Dave, if we have never had the chance to meet. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at CCV, even though I live in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. They still let me be on staff. So yes, very kind of them. And Ashley and Mark are kind enough to to welcome me in to preach several times a year and I love you all and I feel a great closeness with this family. Uh, Many of Jesus' interactions with people took place around a dinner table. And you learn a great deal about people when you are seated around a table enjoying a meal. Some of you know that our pastor Ashley grew up down in Wilcox, Arizona and back when he was in high school, there was a time when he met a girl who lived in Wilco- or outside of Wilcox in a place called Safford, about 20 miles away, and he wanted to go out with this girl. I don't think he would mind me telling the story even though he's out of town. We'll check with him later, all right? Uh, but he took an interest in her and he expressed an interest in taking her out and her mom said, my parents would appreciate it if you came for dinner so we could kind of get to know you, and I understand that. So he got over there in town for the night of the dinner, and he got there early because he wanted to make a good first impression. Went around the town of Safford a little bit, and he found a candy store. He went in, and he bought a small box of chocolates, a medium-sized box, and a large box of chocolates. When he went to check out, the owner said, you gotta tell me why three different sizes of boxes? He said, well, I got my first date with this gal. If she gives me a hug at the end of the night, I'm gonna reach in the car, I'm gonna pull out that small box of chocolates. But if she gives me a kiss at the end of the evening, I'm gonna reach in there and I'm gonna pull out the medium-sized box of chocolates. Please, let me tell you, if she kisses me passionately and it's like there's no end to it, and it goes on and on and on. Listen, I'm gonna pull that large box of chocolates out. Guys, wow, you are an amazing young man. Well, Ashley kept wandering around town a little bit. Sometime later, it came time for him to be at that house. He went to the home, got to meet some of the family, made small talk, everything was going pretty well. They said, let's sit down for dinner. About that time, uh, her father came in the back door and said, sorry I'm late, came down, sat down, and immediately looked across the table at Ashley and said, would you have our prayer for the food? Well, Ashley was kind of caught off guard, but he started praying, and then let me tell you, that dude. He started praying like you've never heard before. He started in the book of Genesis. (laughs) He worked his way through. He came to the New Testament, to the Gospels. He talked about sin. He talked about forgiveness. He covered everything. He got to Revelation. Finally, after about eight minutes, he finished his prayer. They had a great meal together. Everything went fine. After the meal, he's sitting out on the back porch with this, this new girl he's interested in. She said, you know what? She said. At dinner, I learned so much about you that I, I, I didn't know. I had no idea that you were so spiritual. And I just said, well, you know what? At dinner, I, I learned a whole lot about you too. He said, I, I had no idea that your dad owned the candy store. <laughs> uh, yeah. You might have to check that one with him. <clears throat> You can learn a great deal about others when you are sitting around a table and you're listening and you're hearing the stories that they have to share. Mealtime was very important back in Jesus' day. When Jesus came on the scene, he began to change the way that many of the Jewish traditions associated with meals were viewed. In fact, Jesus did more to change them than to support them. And he stirred up a lot of controversy over his countercultural approach to the dinner table. And what I want to do today is I I want to make three observations about the mealtime table. Here's observation number one. The mealtime table allows for the preserving of values and traditions to be taught. So he's going to use some of their traditions to reveal who he is, and he's also going to change some of their values that they focus more on uh, in in the interior of a person rather than the exterior of a person, that they see things a little differently than what all of their traditions have said. Now, some of the different values that were passed on at the meal table pertain to the table itself and where a person would sit. Back then, the the patriarch or the father of the family would sit at the head of the table. And that was the individual who prayed for the food. And and where you sit mattered to them. And the father sat at at the head and that was the person who prayed. The person who had the lowliest seat was the person that was in charge of washing feet. And so if a person came in late to the meal, their job was to wash the feet of that person who just came in off a dusty road. But the father was supposed to pray over the meal. Now with that in mind, I want you to think about the very largest meal in all the Bible. It was the feeding of the 5,000. That was a precursor to our fall fiesta. All right, And what happened was there were all these people that were there that were mesmerized by Jesus' teaching and they lost track of time and they didn't pack a lunch with them. And so... They had a long way to travel back home and so they, they had to do something, Jesus said. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and Jesus miraculously provided food for all of them. And did you notice that he was the one that was doing the praying for that meal In fact, each of the Gospel accounts tell us that Jesus assumed that role and he prayed over that meal for these thousands of people. You see, he was establishing himself as the head of a national family and not just an individual family. Jesus was taking control over the meal by praying over it. It was the equivalent of putting himself at the head of the table. And that's why at the the end of the meal, Do you remember what happens next? After he's provided free food for everyone, what does everybody wanna do? They wanna make him their king. Why do they wanna make him king? Because you're the father of a nation, then you must be a king. At the dinner table, the Jewish people always taught godly principles. They would instill scriptures and review them. They would instill life lessons There are numerous studies that show that the kids of families that eat together for at least four dinner times a week, that they're more likely to be in the National Honor Society. And kids that eat together with their family on, on a regular basis are three times more likely to be successful in business. Excuse me, four times more likely. And there's study after study, but let me just read one of them to you. Dr. Catherine Snow, a professor of education at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, She followed 65 different families over an eight year period. And this is what she concluded. She she found that dinner time together as a family was of more value to child development than playtime, than story time, and even school time. Dads, you, you set the tone in the home, you have an attitude that will be picked up by the others. Moms, many of you find yourself in, in, in a role as a single mom where you're the one who's setting that tone. God makes up that difference. The Psalms, Psalms tell us that. He, he heals the brokenhearted, says that, that he is close to us, and he'll be that go-between for us. But moms and dads, you have an opportunity with, with your sons and daughters to pass things on to them from Scripture in the ancient Jewish world, important customs were passed on, and when you go and vote on Tuesday, you are using your vote to voice your values and to pass on your priorities and principles, and, and you do it through mealtime. You also do it around the table, and with your kids, it has a cumulative effect over the years. The table is where you vote your values on a daily basis. I guess it's about 25 years ago, there was a reporter, a journalist in, in Kentucky, and he said that he had been assigned to write a feature story on me. Evidently, it was a very slow news month that time. And he said, there's, there's one catch. He said, I need to have four to six hours with you, and I need to have at least two two-hour interviews with you in two-hour blocks. And I'm thinking, man, alive! my mom doesn't even wanna spend that much time with me. But I said, yes, and we met the first time at my office, and it went well, and after two hours of meeting, he was getting ready to leave. He said, where's your restroom? And I said, it's right down the hall there. And when he went to the bathroom, I called my wife, Beth, and I said, hey, I said, I got a crazy idea. I said, do you mind if I invite this reporter to come to dinner at our house? And she said, well, she said, I don't know how much food I've got, but she said, if he wants to hang out with three kids under the age of six, he can come. And so I invited him over and told him, I said, it's not gonna be anything fancy at all, but if, if you wanna meet the, the best part of my family, my wife and my kids, then why don't you come join us? And he said, yes, I'm in. And he came over our house, and, and we lived in a small house at the time, and we had this, this little tiny table uh, that we ate at, and we gave him the most spacious seat, but as soon as he sat there at that end of the table, I said, now, you have to understand something. If you move your left knee a certain way, that entire table will collapse, and your meal will be right there in your lap. You've never got, seen a guy sit so still in a meal all, all night long. He just sat there, didn't, didn't barely move. And Then my kids said to him, you're the special person tonight. You're the special one. He said, what does that mean? He said, you get a special plate. And They gave him the plate, and it actually says, you're, you're special on there. He said, oh, this is great. He said, well, what what does that mean? They said, well, it means that you don't get to pray for the meal tonight, but we all get to pray for you. And trust me, he was very excited that he didn't have to pray for the meal, all right? And so we all got to pray for him and we just had a, a great night together and we laughed and we had so much fun. And the kids asked him questions. And we stayed in touch through the years. And he actually came to a couple of our special events at our church. And several years later, after one of those events, he wrote me this this thank you note. And he said this years later, he said, I still remember that meal with your family like it was yesterday. He said, it's the only time that I've ever had people pray out loud for me. And it was sad to read that. I thought, man, no one should be robbed of that opportunity. But special things happen at mealtime around a broken down table. Well, here's the second lesson from observing how Jesus approached meals. And that is the mealtime table should be a place where every social class feels welcome. And... I love a lot of things about CCV, but after this service, regardless of where you come from or who, who you came with, we, we have a seat at the table for you. And we, we want you to join us. And we think of a meal as a chance to take a break and grab some grub and visit with someone. But back in Jesus' day, the table and the meal was communicating that there is intimacy, that there is closeness. And sometimes they would sit there for, for hours Another one of my favorite parts about CCV is the love that this church shows to those with special needs, and you all do it at every campus, and they have a seat at the table. And What a beautiful picture of living out the way that Jesus approached life. Now, back in Jesus' day, meals were primarily experienced with people who had the same social standing in society. and yet Jesus is going to violate the normal social mores of the time. You see, the most controversial aspect of Jesus' ministry, and believe me, there were a lot of different things controversial. He stirred up a lot of things with the religious leaders, but the top two would have to be his breaking of the Sabbath, and the second part was who he ate his meals with. Those were the two things that caused the most conflict with society that he did. Jesus was accused of eating with sinners, with eating with prostitutes and with tax collectors. Pastor and author John Tyson goes so far as to say, when it came to mealtime, Jesus was all about creating space at the table for people to encounter God's scandalous offer of grace. And he says, if you're not being criticized for who you're eating with, then you may not be following Jesus well. Hmm. And in the first century, society had everyone eating with their own. So uh, a Jew would never eat with a Gentile. Uh, A member of the lower class would never be seen at the same table as someone of of the upper class. And Christ's methods were always so upside down compared to how the culture functioned. But Jesus demonstrated that the table is not a place of exclusion, it's a place of inclusion. Didn't matter who was at the table. Jesus is saying, I'm going to use the table differently in my ministry. To him, the table was not a weapon to keep people out, it was an invitation to bring people in. Who do you need to include? Who have you kept at arm's length that, that you need to schedule a lunch with? Be intentional. Get out of your comfort zone. I spent the last week here in in Phoenix, And after church last Saturday night, uh, a couple of GCU students who I know, they came up and they said, hey, are you doing anything on, on Wednesday morning? And I said, Oh well, I, I don't think so. They said, well, um, what are you doing at 6.15 in the morning? Oh, wow. They had not been real specific when they started their request. And I said, well, um, I'm really not sure, you know, I'm... I'm I do a prayer walk from three to seven. Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess I could cut it short. Uh, no, I said I, I, I don't know what I'm doing then. But I, it's usually sleeping, and uh, they said, "Well, we want to invite you to come down with us. We we feed the homeless outside of downtown Phoenix on Wednesday mornings, and they said we'd like for you to come." You know, the Bible says in Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-eight. It says. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, he knows what it's like to, to be homeless. I, I certainly don't. But I, I said yes, and I went. There were about 12 students from GCU that were there. We, we fed over four, 400 people in an hour. It would break my heart when uh, I'd be visiting with somebody and they'd finish their meal. And my job, I was a busboy, so I had a rag, and I, my job was to help take their stuff back for them. Then I'd clean up the, the table there for the next person to be sliding in. And uh, I'd say goodbye to them. And then a few minutes later, I would see them back in line. And maybe they'd put a hat on. Maybe they'd, they'd button their shirt or pull a jacket over them. But they did something to try to make themselves look different. Just so they could get some more food. I'm telling you, my heart just my heart just broke. I had great conversations with them around tables. We talked football, we'd we we talked faith, we we'd talk about food. And it truly is amazing what can happen around a table with, with total strangers. I'm I'm embarrassed to tell you that in 40 years of ministry, I've I've never served breakfast to the homeless. And that's pretty sad, but. I'm grateful for a dozen college students that, that taught me that there, there is a seat at the table for everyone. And the table is a place for everyone when Jesus is seated at the head. Have you ever noticed that the, the type of people that Jesus always hung out with are the very type of people that I tend to avoid? That they're the people that you avoid? The greedy, poor, the ostracized, the overlooked, the skeptic, the immoral. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. But our tendency is to seek out the the best seats and to want to make certain that we, we get the most honor. And Jesus talks in Luke 14, he talks about weddings and he talks about how at, at weddings people will gravitate. They see where the host is and so what do they do? They kind of work their way up and they would sit close to where, where the host was. And Jesus said, don't, don't do that. He says, I know this goes against the hierarchy. I know it goes against everything you've ever been taught. But he said, at, at mealtimes, I want you to try something different. And he says in Luke chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, he says, but when you are invited, Take the lowest place so that when your host comes he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place and then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I was growing up, our family had a dining room table and four of us could sit around it and eat. But when we invited a couple of people to to join us for dinner, if we were allowed to bring a friend over or my parents invited a couple to to come over, uh, my dad would say to me, go get the leaf. Y'all know what a leaf is? Good. Well, you're smarter than me. you know what, it is? You, you, you pull on both sides and all of a sudden this table expands and then I'd go to the closet and I'd get the the leaf out and I'd put it in there and then we go to both sides again and we push it and it closes up and now there's room for two more people. And sometimes dad would say, you know what, get both leaves. <laughs> I don't know if it's leaves or leaves. You get both, you know, I'm from, I'm from Kentucky, we don't really care. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good to make a complete sentence, all right? Uh, <laughs> but he'd say, get, get both of them, is what he would say. And I would, I would get both of them, and I knew that that meant that there were, there were gonna be four people there. You know, Jesus modeled this constantly. He was always expanding the table. He was always sending them to get another leaf. Jesus says in the rest of that passage in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, he was always trying to to push the people out of their comfort zone. And he wanted them to see tables the way he saw tables. And You know, sometimes the best table conversations are the unplanned ones. Yesterday, my wife and I were were eating dinner here in town and we, we saw this couple they were praying for their dinner at a nearby table. And so we got to go over and just talk with them. We, we came as strangers, but we left as friends with, with Joseph and Chelsea and little Sierra. Why, why is that? It's because what happens is Christ is the reason that the table can expand and it can include others and, and we can be a part of their table and they can be a part of our table. On Monday, I was at a a restaurant, I was working on this sermon, and there was a young gal who was wiping off tables, and we got in this conversation, and I mean, it got really deep, really quickly. And it turned spiritual just after a matter of maybe three minutes. And I mean, I, I, I was trying to share things. I was trying to encourage. She was sharing some challenges that she was going through. I started going through some Bible verses and I mean, I didn't come up for air for like four or five minutes. I didn't even take a breath. And finally I said, oh, I said, I'm so sorry. It it sounds like I'm preaching to you. And she said, no, 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 keep going. By the way, that's a phrase that you all have never said when I've been preaching, all right? Uh, (laughs) No, Dave, keep going, keep going. I, I love cold tacos. Yeah, it's fine. But we talked and we talked and... After about 20 minutes, she looked at me, she shook her head. She said, I really can't believe that we are having this conversation. And I said, well, about an hour ago, before I got out of my car, I prayed. I said, Lord, cross my path with someone. Just cross my path with someone who maybe I can encourage. And her eyes welled up, and she said, he crossed your path with me. She said, that was for me. God sent you. I was reminded again of, of how good God is. That sometimes He, he will even bring people to, to your table. I, I wasn't at their table, and God brought her to my table. Oh, here's the third observation I want to make, and that is the mealtime table should reveal who's a part of your family. And Jesus is going to have a very different view than most people did back then. But early in Jesus' ministry, he was not eating the majority of his meals with his family like everybody did. Instead, he was spending most of his time at the table with a ragtag team of misfits who couldn't cut it, and they didn't have a rabbi that they were traveling with. And so Jesus took them in. They were mostly lower class, maybe a couple of them middle class. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, says, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, in other words, word traveled in the village. Oh, hey, your, your, your son, your brother is in town. When they heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Now that phrase, take charge of him or take hold of him, is the exact same description that will be used when Jesus is arrested by the soldiers and his family He's saying he's out of his mind. He's he's not eating with us. He's eating all his, his meals with these people and it doesn't count if it's with those people. I love the way Mark Moore says it. He says his family thought he was nuts so they headed to him carrying a white jacket with extremely long sleeves. They were gonna take him away. He's not acting normal. He's eating his meals with these disciples and these other people, not with his real family. And in Mark chapter three, verse 31 through 35, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. In other words, oh, just just tell him that his mom's out here. Tell him his brothers are out here. Verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, "Uh, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and my brothers? He asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mom. You say, boy, that sounds cold-hearted to Mary. Well, Jesus came to turn insiders into outsiders and outsiders into insiders. Why would he pour... The next three years eating meals with the disciples and not his family. It's because Jesus knows that's all he's got. He's got three years with them to get them ready to lead, to get them ready to serve. And Jesus is counting on this collection of guys to spread the word, to preach the gospel, to risk their lives so that others can find salvation. During mealtime, Jesus is changing the way you determine who's in your family. And some of you, you understand this real well because ever since you started coming to CCV or ever since you first came to faith, you've been ostracized by your family. And it hurts. And you were once an insider with them, but now you feel like an outsider. And for some of you, you've experienced more acceptance and more community from your brothers and sisters in Christ than those with whom you're related. And I just just want you to know that that if someone invited you to CCV this weekend at any of our campuses, you are an insider. You are welcome at this table. Earlier I said you are among friends. Let me take it a step further. You are among family. And we have a leaf for the table and it's got your name on it. Jesus expanded his, his family through mealtimes. It went beyond the disciples. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Back then, it was a self-serving parasite. They were, they were driven by greed. They, they worked for Rome. They would bid for opportunities to have a larger intersection, a busier place, so they could make more money and gouge people. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a short man, so he climbs up a sycamore tree and he's just wanting to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he comes into Jericho. And as Jesus goes walking by, Luke 19, verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That word must literally means it is necessary that I come to your house today. No questions asked. This is a divine appointment. So Jesus goes to Jericho and he accepts one lunch invitation. In fact, it's not even an invitation. He invites himself and he says, I'm gonna do lunch. I'd like to do it with you. I'd like to do it at your place. And everybody wants some one-on-one time with Jesus. Why choose this greedy, dishonest tax collector? I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus knows that in one week, he will be dead. And he knows that there are people long term who Zacchaeus can reach that he can't reach. Who is it necessary for you to have around your table? Let me close by telling you of a time when God did just that in my wife's life. He put a burden on her heart for some people. It was about 10 years ago, I was preaching at my home church in Louisville. In the middle of my message, I read Jesus' words from Luke 14. I read them earlier where Jesus says, when you throw a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they may invite you and you will be repaid. Instead, you invite people who can't repay you. And when I finished preaching that sermon, I saw my wife in the front row and I was walking down toward her as they were making some closing announcements and she's got tears in her eyes. And I said, you okay? Okay. She said, when you read that verse from Luke 14, she said, God clearly impressed on me that he wants us to host a Christmas party for the Scarlet Hope girls. Now, Scarlet Hope was a local ministry in the Louisville region to reach out to women in the adult entertainment industry. There was a group of Christian ladies that would cook food all day on Thursdays and they would travel to 20 strip clubs every Thursday night, and they would take a home-cooked meal in there, big enough to feed about 20 people at each of the 20 places. And they would sit with the girls and they would give them food and they would do their nails for them and they would ask for prayer requests. They would try to pray with them and they would invite them to come to a Bible study. And that was what they tried to do and they used food as the opportunity. That table there, in order to try to get them and my wife felt this calling that man we we need to have a dinner for those girls so she ran the idea past the director of the outreach and she loved the idea of a christmas dinner and about a third of the girls who came had left dancing had given their lives to christ another third were kind of in that in between stage and they were studying god's word and they just weren't sure they could take their foot out of the out of the clubs and give their life totally to Christ. And then there was another third that they didn't know what they believed. In the first year that we had them come to our house, we had no idea what it was gonna be like, but Beth has the gift of hospitality. She was in charge of the food and, and making the house look nice, and I was in charge of entertainment and the program. That was my job. Most of those girls, they don't have a car, and they barely make ends meet. So I rented a school bus we had dinner for them and our kids and the friends of our kids would help serve each year. We'd play games, we'd sing Christmas carols, we'd give hoverboard lessons. We, we did all sorts of things. My wife had a designated smoking section, all right, outside on the back patio. And uh, we laughed so much on those evenings. On one of them, we later learned that on the way over, one of the girls who had left the industry brought a friend with her who was still in it and when she found on the bus that she was going to a pastor's house she said oh take me back turn this thing around take me back I don't want to go it turns out her only interaction with a minister was outside of a club in the parking lot when she was walking into work and a pastor had some of their church members there and they were staging a protest and the pastor looked at her He called her a whore, said she was going to hell. She said, I don't want to go to a pastor's house. This girl said, you know, it'll it'll be different. Just give it a chance. I promise you it'll be different. One of the unexpected surprises was, was how important the tables became to these girls. And each year, those who had been there the year before, they started wanting to return to their table. And as soon as they would come in the front door, they would just book it to their table and they'd take their coat off and they would stake their claim. As you can see, the, the tables weren't anything special, but they'd put something over a folding chair or they'd put their purse there and they'd get their gang together so they could be together. You see, when you have a seat at the table, it communicates that you have value and that's a feeling they had been absent for many of them for most of their lives, especially for those prior to Christ. And over time with our contact and our friendships with them, we discovered that 85 to 90% of them had been physically or sexually abused. But at Christmas dinner each year, Beth's, Beth's Women's Bible Study, they would adopt one of the girls. And so we had all these gifts for each one of them and we'd do a drawing and they got to pick the bag that they wanted and we'd give them gift cards and it was just so, so exciting. We'd have a prayer circle at the end of the night. I'd, I'd talk for about 15 minutes and kinda share what the meaning of Christmas is and, and what the gospel is. they pray in circles all throughout our house, at different tables, some of them. And we learned that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we all need Jesus, whether our sins are on the rebellious list or whether they're more on the respectable list or whether they're more on the self-righteous list. And as they would leave, Beth would give each of them a hug and I would give them a handwritten letter that I'd written for them individually. And in that letter, I, tried, I just tried to call out Something in their life, some gifting. Encouraged them. And I'd put a scripture on there for them. And I'd put a card in there with the scripture on it so they could put it on their mirror. And they would read those letters on the bus. Before they got on the bus, my son would be out on the sidewalk and then, unbeknownst to them, they'd come walking out and he'd be standing there. He'd give them a red rose before they got on the bus and the rose was to represent that we loved them but that more importantly that that God loved them very much and that they had value to him there were so many of them that made decisions for Christ i was blessed to get to baptize a number of them through the years these girls who made gutsy dramatic changes in their lives but i promise you it would have happened if they had not had a seat at the table I hope they have good memories of those nights. We did it for five years in a row. I hope it was good for them. But it was better for us. It's better for my kids. It's better for our marriage. I told you they closed the night out by praying together in groups of three or four. The first year we ever did that, there was a person had come from that ministry, and they, they had a camera with them. They just took some pictures. I want to show you my favorite picture. It's my son. He was 16. He's praying with a few of the girls. And It's kind of fitting who's in the background of that picture, but we shouldn't be surprised. Do you think that Jesus would miss a party like that? So now it's your turn and you get to put in practice what we've talked about tonight. It's time to go get the leaf. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, you always have had a seat at the table for us. We don't deserve it, but yet somehow you give it to us. Lord, in these next few minutes, we want to put into practice at every one of our campuses what what we've talked about tonight, but even more importantly than that, Lord, in the days to come and the weeks to come, would you help us to make a trip to our closet, to grab that leaf and to dust it off, and then to put it to use. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to welcome our campus pastors from all over. Welcome your campus pastor.